This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hi there, and welcome into episode 30 of Small Talk. I'm your host, as always, Michelle Smallman. Tom Freeze Pops Carol is here. Tom, what's up? What's up? Dirty 30. Can you believe we've had yeah. 30 podcast episodes already? Does that mean we're a legit podcast now? It means we're an adult podcast. Wow, okay. Yeah, we've been off the parents' health insurance plan for about four episodes now, so... Hopefully I don't come down with anything too serious. Am I right? <laughs> Let's hope not, Tom. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. This is we've we've got our our frivolous ways behind us. Yep. Now we're just really taking ourselves seriously. We're entering that phase of our podcast life where we're going to really get down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, these are going to start to become TED talks. I'm going to start to teach you about like different things in the tech world and uh, how to better yourself as a human. And I'm going to start talking like this. <laughs> And the you know the slow like soft clapter clap clapter in the background. What is clapter? That's not a thing. I think you should trademark that clapter. Laugh, laughter and clap together. Clapter. No, I got it. That actually sounds like a disease. Did I just get my first post twenty six disease? Clapter. Hope, hope that you got that insurance card. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Tom? Came down with a bad case of clapter. You got the clapter on episode thirty. <laughs> Haven't seen him since. I moved to St. Louis. They got clapter. <laughs> oh God, disgusting. <laughs> Tommy Freeze Pops is here in studio wearing an electric Kelly Green Boston Bruins sweater. Sweater. Okay. That's all right with me. You can give that fake little accent. I'm fine. Isn't it a sweater? Sweater. <laughs> you got to give it more, a little sweater. 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 <laughs> that just seems too much. Sweater. Anyway, he's got a green sweater on, which we're going to talk about later. All right, Tom, three random things. Let's get rolling. Random thing number one. So in the sports world, we haven't done a lot of sports on the pod lately, and we're going to hit you with two sports things and three random things, even though they're not super heavy sports, but it's a sports lean, if you will. Yeah, they're not that sporty, I'd say. They're (laughs) they're like sports adjacent. Adjacent. I'm into it. Yeah. Okay, so Kyler Murray, he won the Heisman Trophy at Oklahoma. He's a quarterback there. Wicked good athlete, if we're sticking with the Boston accents here. (laughs) A lot of conversation. He had a big decision to make. Is he going to stay with the Oakland A's and play professional baseball, or is he going to enter the NFL draft? Well, he made his decision this week. He's going to enter the NFL draft. And a lot of people are talking about, is that the right decision, et cetera, et cetera. The way that Tom and I's brains work, we think, hmm, what other athletes out there, professional athletes, would we like to see in various sports? So let's run through a few, okay? Yeah, and a lot of these don't actually have to do with whether or not they can play the other sport. It's purely based on, like, dumb shit that I noticed about, like, their body type or, like, the way they play the game. Like, it, it, this is not serious by any means. Like, can, I'll just give you my first one to set the scene here. Sure. I had James Harden as a relief pitcher. Why? Because he's kind of just like an out-of-shape, goofy, motion dude. I mean, and shout-out to him. He's been unbelievable putting the ball in the hole. But, uh, you know, relief pitchers always kind of have that, like, goofy, off-kilter deliveries. They're never really the most fit dudes. They're a little bit of a head case. Uh, Harden hasn't really shown in the playoffs that he can, you know, be the guy yet. So I think that kind of fits there. And uh, I just think that that kind of fits for James Harden. So I'd like to see him as a relief pitcher. I think I would love to see Tom Brady as an Olympic diver. Think about it. Mm -hmm. He's tall. He's lean. He's precise. Can't you see him getting up to the edge, doing eight backflips in a row, landing like a knife into the water with zero splash? With like the smallest splash ever. 
No, no splash. And just like through glass. And Giselle quietly just clapping in, in the huge arena. Oh, yeah. I could totally see that. I also would love to see, this is so random, to shout out to anybody who's going to get this, Jared Sollinger, I would love to see him as a fullback. <laughs> that is so random that you came up with that He's one. He's so thick. He's just got a big ass. He does. He, the Celtics always have a dude with a big ass. Who's and for right a now? Few, oh, Gershon Yabuselli. <laughs> <laughs> Yabu has a dunk and a half. I'll show you some vids after. Yabu's got a dunk. Looking forward to that. I spent some time with Yabu in Vegas, actually. That's a story for another day. Ooh, off-air story. Yes. All right. Um, okay, I got one for you. Okay. And it, this will be debated as to whether or not this is a sport per se, but what about Roger Federer as a poker player? That guy has won more tennis majors and tournaments than anyone. The guy still wins. He's however old, 50. That man's affect never changes, ever. I have. N- I don't think I've ever seen the guy's teeth. And the man has won more Wimbledons than I think years I've been on this earth. And when you're playing poker, you got to have that stone face, you know. And there's always that foreign, <laughs> that foreign poker player. <laughs> I know I'm talking. I'm talking like I know all this stuff about poker, but this is just complete bs that i'm making up in my head about po- about the poker world it just feel like there's always that one foreign guy at the table you know that's got all the money and and you don't really know a lot about him he's a little mysterious i, I think federer fits the bill for me on that that's interesting i could roll with that okay what about nick Foles, super bowl mvp also a crazy good bowler yeah he's got the face of a bowler he's got the haircut of a bowler couldn't you just see him rolling up to the lanes, having his own special ball that yeah. he pulls out, kind of Ernie McCracken style. Maybe not a rose inside, but something <laughs> of that nature. Big Nick energy, just rolling up there, <laughs> throwing down a strike. Yeah, a million percent. And I think last year leading up to the Super Bowl, a lot of people made the Napoleon Dynamite-Nick Foles connection. Mm-hmm. And I think Nick Nick Foles-Napoleon Dynamite really fits that whole bowling alley vibe, if that makes sense. So that's a good call by you. Thank you. I like that one. What about, uh, and this is kind of an easy one, but if you really break it down, he'd probably be extremely good at this, is Vince Wilfork as a sumo wrestler. <laughs> totally. I mean, that man's first step is unbelievable. That guy is a crazy good athlete. He holds the Florida state record for shot put. Hold on. What did you just say? Florida? Florida. 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 Did I say it weird the first time? You said Florida. <laughs> Florida. Florida. It, whatever. Florida, Florida. It's it's <laughs> tomato, tomato. All right, keep going. Yeah, he's a great athlete. He's got that quick first step. So when they do the ha ah, and they get ready and they do that first thing, he's going to be on that body faster than any other sumo wrestler. He's got that low center of gravity. He can throw that guy out of the ring as you do in sumo wrestling. Uh, I think he'd be fantastic at it. So, I mean, it's sort of a no-brainer. I'm surprised he hasn't done it yet. I wouldn't be shocked if someone replies to the tweet of this podcast with a video of of him sumo wrestling. Yeah, I would not be surprised if he had done that. Yeah, I'm sure it exists. Okay, some obvious slam dunk ones that we just have to mention. LeBron James as a tight end. LeBron James at like seven different positions in football. Specifically a tight end. Who could cover him? No one. But also, who's stopping him as a D-end? You know what I mean? Like, imagine him as a safety, just roaming the field. He'd destroy people and catch every ball. Yeah, I would go safety more than D-end, definitely. Receiver. Middle linebacker, maybe. Quarterback, obviously. Best athlete on the field. Tall. But what about his arm strength? That I don't know. True, we don't know arm strength. But all of the other measurables, I mean, 
best athlete. What put the best athlete at quarterback, especially in college? I mean, in college, if you're the best athlete, you, you usually play quarterback. Uh, Usain Bolt as a striker. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. give him speed. A, give him a through ball. He's going to beat anybody anytime. Teach him how to place it in the top right corner. Who's going to stop him? Yeah. Nobody. I remember when Usain Bolt was first kind of coming on the scene and there was like PTI topics or around the horn topics of could Usain Bolt be a kick returner in the NFL? And I don't see that as much. I think soccer works more uh, just because he's he's kind of a slight dude. You know, if he played football, he'd get destroyed. So now you got my mind running about quarterbacks. What about somebody like Jordan Hicks as a quarterback, a guy who can throw crazy hard, touches 102? You know, you have ob- obviously have the mechanics to throw really hard. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that translates into a football, but I would love to see how that works. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, a lot of football players and baseball players, you know, play both and are good at both. Um, but that pitching, the pitching motion and the yeah. throwing motion, it's kind of dicey sometimes. So I, I don't know. That I mean, it might work. It, throwing hard's important, I think, right, when you're a quarterback? Semi-important. Yeah, if you have any more, tweet us at msmallman or at your boy TC Fresh. Yeah, works for me. They always say that Belichick is playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. I wonder how we, he would fare at actual chess. Great call. Get his Bobby Fischer on. He's probably incredible. I'm sure he is. <laughs> He's probably the best chess player in North America. St. Louis, hotbed of chess. Yeah, you said that. That was one of your, like, selling points to me. You're like, <laughs> oh, by the way, we have the Chess Hall of Fame here. Yeah, I'm World like, Chess Hall of Fame, nice. Central Fame. <laughs> Got to get Belichick in there, see what his skill set's like. Okay, random thing number two. So as most listeners of this podcast know, Tom is new to St. Louis, and he's still trying to find his way. Yeah, about two months in here. It seems way longer than that, by the <laughs> You're way. You're telling me. <laughs> seems like you've been here for about a year. I know. Um, but with moving to a new city, is always developing your group of friends. And Tom hangs out with people at the station. My friends have hung out with him. But you also want to independently make your own friends Mm -hmm. and part of that means meeting some young ladies out in the town and so tom has been chatting with this girl and he is going to take her on a first date this weekend so tom i'll let you take it from there yeah so you know we're we're having conversations and i decide you know i'm enjoying this conversation with with the young lady and i think it's time (laughs) to actually meet in person you know we had moved from the app to the iMessage. That's always a big step. Now I think it's time to move from the iMessage into reality. Okay. And uh, I thought, you know what would be a fun place to go? Dave and Buster's. Now, what do you think Mm. about Dave and Buster's as a first date? Now, it's not a traditional first date spot for me. Usually I would like to just go get drinks at a bar. That's usually my call. I don't like to really like get dinner or even coffee just because I'm not really a big coffee guy anyways. So I I always like to just go get beers and just, you know, talk and figure out, all right, do do we actually enjoy each other's company? Because I I think that's just like the most raw form of getting to know someone, having a few drinks. But I I just don't drink. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a whole pod for another day. (laughs) Um, So. I don't know. I wanted to try something different this time. I'm in a new city. You know, what do I have to lose? And I I just really want to go to Dave & Buster's. So what do you think? Dave & Buster's is a first date spot. Okay, so I have kind of conflicting thoughts here. Okay. My initial thought is that I'm cool with it because when you go on a first date, I'm I'm always a fan of the low-pressure first date. I don't want to do something super serious. 
if you bring someone in a game-type environment, it's fun. There's an opportunity for flirting. But also, if you aren't vibing, you can just play shuffleboard <laughs> right, or Right, then whatever. I can just get locked in on, like, Time Crisis 3. Yeah, yeah, it's less awkward if you're not vibing. You can play games and have still a decent time. Exactly. Um, also, I think that when you play games like that with someone... It tells you a lot about them. Are they competitive? How are they going to react if you beat them? Um, Are they really fun? Can you bring them to a place like that with your boys and have a beer? And is he going to take it too seriously? Is is he going to be annoying about it? If he beats you, is he going to rub it in your face? Is he going to get like all sweaty and mad that he didn't get the good prize? Yeah. When she kicks your ass, are you going to be cool with it? Mm Because that's probably going to happen. Yep. Um, So I'm I'm down with it. Okay. You know, I haven't been to David Buster's in a hot minute. Same. That's why I want to go. But is there a ticket situation at the end where you can redeem it for prizes? Uh, so they, the last time I went, if you play the games that have tickets, you can go to the prize room and redeem a gift. Yes. So that could always be fun, too. You can make a competition. Who gets the most tickets? Right. Who gets the best gift? Now, I don't want to be all, like, hokey and, like, uh, I save up all the tickets and I buy her the teddy bear at the end of the night. No. Like, I think it's funnier if we see who, who ends up getting the most tickets to get the who gets the best gift, I, I like that as a or you could as a little game. Do something simple. Whoever gets the most tickets has to buy the first round of beers or whatever. Or you, if you're Great vibing call. with her, if I get more tickets than you, you have to kiss me. Oh, all right, there yeah, we go. See, you could take ah. you could take it as low key or high key as you want. <laughs> That's super high key. I don't think I'd go that way. Well, I mean, I, I need to be a little buzzed if I'm like, hey, if I get the most tickets, you gotta kiss me. Because in like that very, case, very eighth grade, just uh, kiss her then. Like be an adult. <laughs> Uh, romantic Kisser. first kiss at Dave and Buster's in St. Louis. That's the only negative. Is, see, I don't know this girl. I'm just Same, tell- really. Really. I'm just telling you from my perspective, and I'm obviously a girl who likes sports, who likes competition, yeah. who also likes beer. Mm-hmm. So that would be, I would think that would be super fun. But she may be a girl who's not that into this type mm. of stuff, and she may feel uncomfortable or, you know, I'm not really good at these games, or I wanted to get in a more <laughs> quiet, intimate setting and right. really get to t- know this guy. Grab drinks. Grab drinks or, or grab a, a coffee or whatever. So I don't know. I think it all depends on her vibe. Mm-hmm. You have to really feel that out. Well, part of the reason why Dave and Buster's came to mind, I should have said, was that was sort of the vibe I was getting through those texts was that I, I want to go do this and I think that she'd be kind of down. So we'll see. So it's really about just what you want to do and you hope that she's cool with it. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Not that you're catering to what you no. think will impress her. No, not at all. Oh, this Look, relationship I- is destined to be a winner. <laughs> Look, I just want to have some fun sometimes too, Michelle. I mean, come on. You know, we're going to have Adam Amin join us later in the podcast. He's a, a man wise beyond his years, and let's get we're going to get his take on this. Okay, yeah, we need he's th- probably been on a bunch of first dates. Yeah, we need a third-party voice he's here. He's a hot guy. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, Tom. Jeez. Adam, what's up? Well, you'll have to update us next week when, with Saruti. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll have fire takes on this, as he always does. I would imagine that Steve would say no. Yeah, he, he's going to say no to anything. All right, let's do number three. Moving on. Random thing number three, and this was a controversial one. Things got hot in the studio earlier today. And not sexually. So, <laughs> um, good, good, uh, good note there, Michelle, to make sure we know. Well, you know, when you say they get, they got hot, we're talking about dates. People are true. Probably, and Adam Amin. Yeah, their minds are already there. So we need to make sure we <laughs> distinguish here. So, 
I've had a couple hot takes in my life. Things that I didn't think were hot takes, but seeing people's reactions to them, people had a really visceral reaction to these things. Number one, when I said Taylor Swift was a phony and that I didn't buy what she was selling, people were angry that I said that. That's surprising. I actually kind of remember that. And it wasn't women that were angry. It was the middle-aged dude mob that came after me saying, how dare you besmirch Taylor Swift's name Really? Like that. Yes. It was very bizarre. That's creepy almost. Same thing. I tweeted Friends is the most overrated show ever. I Um, agree. A mob of middle-aged dudes came at me aggressively angry that I would say that. I I completely agree (laughs) with you that it's an overrated show. I don't get it. It's not funny. I don't think it's funny, and I just don't love laugh tracks. Unless you're Seinfeld, it's really hard for me to to deal with a, a laugh track. And I know that you haven't seen Seinfeld. I don't know if you've remedied that since we talked about it last summer. No. Exactly. I'm busy rewatching Game of Thrones. Ugh. That, that's another topic for another day. You haven't watched it, so you can't speak I watched it. the first season, and I didn't like it. Well, fell asleep during every episode. That's an indictment on you. <laughs> you fell asleep during the episode. There's 16 every episode. plot twists in one episode. You have to watch the whole episode, Fell Tom. asleep during every single one of them. Oh, you're ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so today was probably hot take number three. I also have a hot take on zoos one day that we'll get into. Oh, okay. Not sure if you want to share that, right? I mean, the zoo is very big here in St. Louis. Okay, I'll just... I don't, oh, my God. I don't know what's happening here. I'm not going to reveal it because oh. people get really upset <laughs> when, I, when I give my take on zoos. Oh, my God. I'm so excited for this. We'll reveal it one day. Okay. We're going to do a zoo pod. We'll get a zoologist in here. We'll get Ron Ron Miguel. Miguel. Yeah. My thing with zoos is the same thing as this hot take that we had today. It's all a matter of a question, a critical thinking question. So today we were on the Bernie Mickler show, Tom and I, and I don't even know. Oh, it got brought up because Tom is wearing a Boston Bruins jersey today. Tom is- a sweater. Tom is an adult male in a, in a jersey at work. And yes, we work in the sports world, but dudes wear jerseys all the time in the world. Not necessarily just at sporting events or not necessarily just to watch a game. They I don't wear jerseys jer- every day, though. Let's just put that out there. I'm wearing it because the Bruins are playing the Blues, and I want to just show my allegiance to my true team. Sure, but guys will rock a jersey just to hang out. Like, that's something yeah, that— out. Bro out. That's what they wear. So today, I posed this question as a critical thinker to Tom and Bernie. <laughs> I said, at what point— did it become socially acceptable for grown adults to wear another adult's uniform, their work uniform? In specific relativity to sports, I look at it this way. Sports is a form of entertainment. It's also a business, but really it's in the entertainment realm. So so is Harry Potter. I really enjoy the Harry Potter books. I enjoy the movies. I, enjoy, I would not be mad if I went to Harry Potter World one day. If I walked into the grocery store in a Harry Potter Quidditch cape, people would side-eye me. They would side-eye me. Yeah, as they should. It's weird. But why is it normal for you to wear a hockey player's uniform in public and no one's going to question it? Oh, my God. I, I just... It, it's different, okay? It's I'm not saying different. there's anything wrong with it. Let's just put that caveat out there because people are very upset. How can you dish jerseys? I'm just asking the question. Okay, you can you can put the caveat out there, but we can go back and listen to the audio. There's a, there's a little undertone of of a judgment with the jersey. I think I think there's a little bit of a yeah, you're kind of you're a grown guy. Why are you wearing another guy's? A little bit of a, a judge judginess to it. I think. 
Well, are you going to go watch a Star Wars movie <laughs> in the theater and wear a Han Solo costume? I just think it's different. But why? That's my question. Explain to me why. I- Okay, I don't have a good answer. Okay. I don't. I can't don't wait have, for this conversation. I then. don't have a good answer to this. It just is different. And just thinking out loud, and and this is going to get shot down. I know it's stupid, but I, I'm just workshopping this on the mic here. A jersey is is kind of unassuming compared to dressing up like Han Solo in public, right? Like, I can wear a jersey, and it shows. My, my fandom and my my support for the team that I enjoy being associated with, whereas I, I can wear a Chewbacca costume, and that's mm-hmm. just that's way over the top because it's just it's it is. I mean, it, th- if- to put them on the same playing field is is crazy to me. I think it's it doesn't make any sense. Like well, I, I know I know if you really break it down black and white, like yes. They're two forms of entertainment. Hockey player wears sweater. I wear hockey sweater to be him. Chewbacca is a furry, ape-like creature. I wear Chewbacca costume to show that I like him. Like, that's that's logic, yes, but I think it's flawed logic because they are different. And and I don't, I don't know what the true f- way to describe why they're different. They just are. Okay. Things are just different sometimes. But when you think about it, <laughs> the St. Louis Cardinals is a franchise. Correct. Harry Potter is also a franchise. Book franchise, yes, and movie. And film and amusement park franchise. Yeah, probably audiobooks as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tom, I'm sure there are audiobooks as well, which only proves my point, is that Harry Potter is a multifaceted franchise. But the thing is... They're both forms of entertainment. If you're a fan of either franchise, my question just is, why is it socially acceptable to dress like one character? Because that's who you are, is you're dressing up like someone else. It's a costume. When you dress like a hockey player, you're pretending to wear someone else's clothes. Okay, but I'm not wearing the full costume. I don't have the skates on. I don't have the leg pads. Right, I'm not but I wearing... would just wear the cape. Okay, so maybe that's the same then. So may- maybe we should be more accepting. Maybe we should. Maybe we shouldn't have side eye at schnooks when I see you walking around with a Harry Potter lightning bolt of makeup on your forehead. A- as you wi- do every weekend. People don't know that. That's how Michelle shops for her avocados. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and shout out schnooks, obviously. A great sponsor of 101 ESPN. So, you know, I don't know. It's just different. Why... Why do this shouldn't even be a thing? And I know some people like to make it a mascul- masculinity thing, like oh, you're gonna let another man put their put their uh, name on your back, like oh my god, you're, you're you're such a soft human being. It's like shut up, dude. Like you clearly have a problem with your masculinity if you're calling me out for wearing Tom Brady's jersey. Seriously, like shut up. And then, and this this is another rant, but I hate people that are like the we police. Like, oh, you, oh, you play for the team when you say we. It's like, no, man, I don't. I'm not the point guard of the Celtics. I just like the Celtics, so that's why I said we. Like that, that's why. Okay, like, no, I don't think I'm on the team. Like, don't don't criticize me for the way that I want to be a fan. Okay, I'm a fan. Fans are kind of weird. We do weird stuff. We wear jerseys. We say that we say we when we're talking about the team. I love the Celtics. I love the Patriots. Just let me express myself the way I want. End of rant. 
I didn't know Fat Albert was such a jerk. <laughs> Shouts to Fat Albert. Was that who you were impersonating? Right I, no, I don't know. You know what? I was impersonating a specific person, but I'm not going to call them out on the podcast. Probably for the best. Yes. But there was a specific person I had in mind with that impression. So here's the way I look at it. Let's keep it specific to baseball. Sure. So back in the day, you used to see all those old photos of people at baseball games, and the men were in full suits and hats and fedoras. (laughs) This was not a thing before. Mm. And what happened? The team said, you know what? If we encourage these grown men and women to dress like the players, we're going to cash in. So when you are coming at me angry and defensive for asking a question— I'm just asking the question. Okay, but you're asking the question with intent of knowing where you stand on it in a judgy kind of you shouldn't wear jerseys type thing. But if you're angry about it, you're telling on yourself. But telling on myself for what? What am I doing wrong? You're saying I'm Jersey guy. Leave me alone. But here's I'm not even big time Jersey guy. I'm not. You you know me. I don't go out in jerseys all the time. I'm not really a Jersey guy. I have some jerseys. I just and think sometimes a- I like to express myself and show how much of a fan I am by by wearing the jersey. I don't, you know what? Now that I'm workshopping this, I, maybe it's a subconscious. Like, yeah, look how much of a fan I am. I have a jersey. Like, this is this is how much I love the team. I'll spend 150 bucks on a Bobby Orr St. Patty's Day Bruins jersey. Like, what? Where? What are you? What are you gonna do about it? But then my follow-up question is, why do you feel the need to show everyone the level of your your fandom? It's a subconscious, maybe competitive, goes back to the sports thing. Again, I'm just workshopping this. I don't know. I don't know. I just find that when I ask a question like that, okay, if I just say, hey— how, it's kind of bizarre from a social standpoint that we say, hey, this is normal and acceptable, but this is not. It's just a critical thinking question. It's just an open dialogue. <laughs> and if you get angry and defensive about that, either A, you heard me, but you weren't listening to me, <laughs> and or B, you're telling on yourself. Telling on yourself. And I think that— For the, doing nothing wrong. But you're saying, I wear a jersey. Like, if you're angry about that, it's because you like to wear a jersey. And you think— or maybe subconsciously have an inkling that it is kind of a bizarre concept. You, if you're getting defensive about it, it's because you know deep down it's a little weird. Yeah, but I don't know. And what are you really defending? I, the right for teams to profit off you? Oh, well, I guess if you want to, if you want to go there, that's kind of the same thing as being like grown men putting their stamp on your back by having their name. Ah. That's just breaking it down on a level that I yeah, don't think like, it needs to be broken down on. I, I just think it's a thing that people like to do because it's fun. You know, people like to wear costumes on Halloween. It's fun. But that's, I don't know. That's my whole point of this is because I think deep down the reason that people like to wear jerseys is because when you look at an athlete, it brings you back to a point in childhood where you're in awe of someone because they can do something that you cannot. You look at someone like Tom Brady and you're like, Wow. I wish I was as physically gifted as him. It's this this inner childhood thing that we have to look up to somebody. That's what it is. And I just think that it's a fascinating social conversation. Yeah. Okay. There's I nothing can... wrong with it. I mean, when you... <laughs> I still I, I think by asking the question, you're implying that there's something wrong with it. I know you're setting up critical thinking. I just think it's interesting because 
is it is it because they're actual human beings? We think it's more acceptable than than living in a fantasy world like Harry Potter, whereas it's still a form of entertainment. Is it because it's somehow tied to our civic pride? We're, we're, we love I think that's Boston. Part of it. We love St. Louis, and you know whether it's a, a hundred and twenty dollars jersey or a thirty dollars baseball cap, we want to show our pride for our city. Um, I I do think there's a big difference between wearing a t-shirt and a hat to buying the actual jersey i think when you buy the the physical jersey a part of the uniform it's just a different level yeah it shows that you're a better fan what's up yeah i don't think so wait so your zoo take is similar to your jersey take so you don't think that uh the zoo animals should wear jerseys correct that's it you just outed me (laughs) we'll leave my zoo take there works for me all right perfect We already mentioned it. Adam Amin is coming up next. Play-by-play voice from ESPN. And we'll make sure and get his take. Is Dave & Buster's a good first date spot? Adam Amin's going to tell us next. Hot. Take 101 ESPN on the go with the all-new 101 Sports app. See the latest videos, listen to podcasts, and join the conversation with the 101 Sports app. We have a great guest for you this week. Adam Amin, I'm so excited to chat with him, is so versatile. He is one of the lead play-by-play voices for ESPN. You've heard him calling NFL games and baseball games and college basketball. He's everywhere. And you're going to hear him dropping some knowledge here this week on Small Talk. I am so pumped to welcome in Adam Amin to the podcast. Adam, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. How are you? I'm awesome. I uh, So apparently, you know, you, you and I have uh, expressed our mutual affection for good wine. <laughs> yes. And you were kind enough to send me a wonderful bottle from, I think you said it was like one of your family, like your family's hometown in Italy or something like that. I was, I remember you telling me the story and I'm like, this sounds amazing. It's sitting downstairs waiting for me. So thank you. First off, uh, I'm so pumped to try that. Uh, Well, don't say thank you yet because I'm about to out myself. I hope no one in the postal world listens to this podcast because (laughs) apparently it's illegal to mail wine from state to state. And so I had, you're in Chicago, I'm in St. Louis. So I had to send it to you, but wrap it very conspicuously. So I'm hoping that it made it to you in one piece because it wasn't an official package sent by a wine company. So we'll see. this is good. The broken bottle of wine that I get to consume now, that'll be great. It's the thought that counts, right? Exactly. For those who are, who are wondering, the wine is Valpolicella. It's made in the Veneto region of Italy, and it is a beautiful bodied red, a lot of fruit notes, hint of spice. It's a perfect medium red. I'm very excited to try it. And, I think, and it's perfect. It feels like a very good winter wine, uh, especially with the, with the added spice to it. Yes, you nailed it. Okay, so before we get into the questions that I have for you, Adam, I need you to settle a debate for myself and Tom, our producer. So we got into this on okay. our radio show today, and then we're, we're talking about it again on the podcast. But grown adult men wearing sports jerseys, cool or not cool? Uh, I, I would never denigrate somebody for doing it, especially in the proper context. You're going to a sporting event, all that. That's all well and good. I have a very like general rule that I actually don't – I try not to wear any type of sports-related clothing outside of, like, the gym. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and, not, and not it's because – like, I don't have any hatred for any team or, like – I just don't feel comfortable doing it, especially if it's a jersey. Like, I will never wear a jersey ever again, probably for the rest of my life. There is no necessity for me to wear a jersey anymore. Uh, A, I think they're uncomfortable. Like, whatever, like, fabric is used, the material is used to make these things, they're not the most comfortable things in the world to wear. They don't seem very functional. Oftentimes baggy, they get caught in stuff. I just, I I don't feel, I feel like I've, I've moved past that. I certainly wouldn't denigrate anybody. 
for for wearing him, especially in the proper context. But I, I got to tell you, I'm just not I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. I think it's I think I'm beyond it. I also think there's a risk involved. Like I remember the the last like athletic related clothing I bought was an Alfonso Soriano Cubs jersey, like a T-shirt jersey, back in like '07. And if I remember correctly, like a year and a half later, he was no longer on the Cubs. So yeah. I'm like, well. This just seems like kind of a waste. That seemed like a total waste of time and money and effort and uh, and investment emotionally and financially. Okay, so you mentioned Chicago. You're a Chicago guy. I'm obviously a proud St. Louis girl, so we need to have this conversation. I don't know if I've ever really had this with anybody on the podcast before, but deep dish pizza, defend yourself. Right. I, I know we've 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 certainly expressed our passion for very specific types and region regionalities of food. I'm sure barbecue for you is a very you know, near and dear thing to your heart and stomach. And I know you will defend St. Louis barbecue to the death and not to say there's really much to defend. It's fantastic. And by the way, you were nice enough to take me to Pappy's uh, when last time I was in St. Louis for a Cardinal game, uh, one of the best meals I've had. Certainly yes. the, one of the best barbecue meals I've had. So uh, I, I understand defending your, your home and regional delicacy. I will say it this way. Deep dish pizza is not what Chicago... Like, you shouldn't be using deep dish to compare Chicago pizza to New York pizza. You know, I think, I think we have a tendency to go, oh, well, it's New York with the, 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 the jumbo thin slice against Chicago deep dish. These are two very different things. Like, I know some people make the joke, like, well, deep dish pizza is like casserole. I'm not going to go that far. It's pizza in essence. It's the same ingredients, and the structure is similar enough for me to say, that's pizza. But real Chicago pizza is what's called tavern crust. Uh, tavern cut thin crust so you know the square like it's basically squares in the middle and the edges are like triangles and squares like the corner pieces are triangles and the rest of the pieces are squares throughout that's how it's cut and if you go to like a normal chicago pizza place that's the quit that's like the first thing that they're going to serve you if you just ask for like a right like a 12 inch pizza or a medium pizza they're going to give you a tavern cut like pie so I think that's that's a, um, a common misconception about it. So I just wanted to establish that first and foremost. Now, in terms of defending Chicago-style deep dish pizza, it's amazing. I, I don't know what there is to defend. Like, it's all the same ingredients. It's structured slightly differently, and it brings out different notes because there's a lot more focus on the sauce. And that's how I compare the major Chicago pizza, the, the, the major deep dish chains in Chicago, Giordano's, Gino's East and Lou Malnati's, and a lot of people can throw Pequod's in there as well if they wish. That's a that's a different crust. That's a caramelized crust. So, I think it's more about sauce. It's more about overall presentation, and it's about the full experience of it. I understand that a lot of people are going to go, "Well, that's not pizza." I disagree with you, but I'm okay if you feel like that. If you feel that strongly to say, "Well, that's not real pizza," go ahead. I'm just letting you know that that's a separate, and it's basically it's a separate entity that has its own very distinct style, texture, and flavor to it. So you just blew my mind with the tavern-style pizza being a true Chicago pizza because I don't think anyone outside of Chicago would ever think that. So I wonder how Deep Dish became the pizza choice to really define Chicago. I, I, think, it's, I think it's because it's so distinct. It's so different, you know, like— uh, you know, like pan pizza, like square pan pizza, like a lot of people consider that to be like Detroit-style pizza. I don't think a lot of people even know that Detroit, like, claims that as its own style of pizza. So I, I think there's a lot to, to, to learn 
if you just want to expand your your horizons a little bit, I think there's a, a whole new world out there for a lot of people to discover. So if you're ever in Chicago, by the way, I certainly recommend those those three spots and Pequod's for the deep dish. Uh, but I would say Art of Pizza is probably my favorite, like just tavern cut, regular Chicago style. You can get deep dish pizza there too, but that's probably my favorite joint is Art of Pizza. I think it's excellent. Uh, and you can, and there's a million different places. If you go to Wrigley Field, you can get the Agostinos. Like there's there's a, a slew of phenomenal places that you can experience. The word joint in regards to a, a spot, a hot spot, is criminally underused. Underused? Am I like like that I, was I don't so think, good that you just worked that in? I want to say that all the time. That was my favorite sandwich joint. <laughs> I know. Well, like that. I feel like that really gives it like a hometown. Yes. And. It gives it it gives it that feel like you have a, like a real connection, like almost an emotional connection to a place. Like, oh, that's my favorite joint here. Like that, I really feel like that expresses a deeper connection to a place. Definitely. Okay, so I mentioned our producer Tom, the guy in the Bruins jersey, sitting here in the studio today. Um, but I, I feel like now you're kind of becoming the judge here as far as our debates. So put on your white wig again because I need your advice. Done. So Tom just moved here to St. Louis. He's active on the dating scene, and he there's this girl he's been talking to, and he's going to take her on a first date this weekend. And he asked me if Dave and Buster's is an appropriate first date spot. So I figured we'd throw it up to you. Do you think that's a good place to take a girl on a first date? I don't think it's inappropriate at all. I, and I don't think it's a bad place to go for a first date. I don't think it's an optimal first date because I think on a first date, you have to establish a few things, whether it's uh, like boundaries. And I don't mean that in like a sexual way. I just mean like, what are, what are topics that you're comfortable with, with talking about? What's something that you really enjoy expressing, you know, your opinion about What's something that you what's something goofy that you can discuss and have a laugh about? And I almost feel like this is almost this is a very high risk but high reward type of first date. Like if she's into it and she's like competitive and getting like really get if you guys are like crushing it at ski ball or like air hockey or whatever <laughs> you guys play, like top, you know, if if it's uh uh, like anything that you guys are really like having a good time with, that's a high reward first date because you can walk away from that date both feeling feeling really good about how much you guys enjoyed each other's company and the competition. But I feel like it's it's a high risk because not everybody's comfortable getting into an activity without knowing the person a little bit. So while for me it would probably be suboptimal, I don't think it's inappropriate. And obviously, if it works out, I think there's a high reward, and I think that's a that's a, that says a lot about the person if they're really into it. That's great advice, and that's why we bring you on for things like this. My initial thought with it was low pressure. I just there's so many first dates that I've been on or my friends have been on where it takes a very serious tone right away. Like I remember one guy took me on a first date, and it was a setup that our our mutual friends had set up. I'd never met him before. It was kind of right. a blind date situation, and he chose a really expensive, really fancy Italian restaurant. Which was nice, uh, and I get where he was going which, with which, that. Which is great. Don't get me wrong. That's that's totally awesome. It, yes, totally awesome. I just feel like they're like foundation, right? You need a yes. little bit of a foundation first. Yeah, it just set the expectations super high for what this was going mm. to be. If you go to somewhere like Dave and Buster's, or you go to play mini golf, or you go to get a coffee, it's just it's a little looser, so you kind of feel less pressure. You know, when I went into that thing, I thought, okay, so he's taking this very seriously, and it ended up feeling almost like an interview. I like the like, there's a great place here in Chicago that I love. Uh, it's called Headquarters. So actually, like, this this almost feels a little bit lower pressure to me than Dave & Buster's because it's a smaller place, and it's a it's a beer cave. It's, a, it's an arcade bar. So 
and, and, and maybe the Dave and Buster's thing kind of falls hand in hand with that. I, I for some reason, look at Dave and Buster's as this kind of more, like, it's a bigger place. It's a little, like, like there's more lights. There's a lot going on. So I feel like almost that's that that adds to my pressure and how I would feel a little off kilter in that situation. But at headquarters, it's great. It's it's like a small setting. It's just little arcade games like NBA Jam and Blitz and Mortal Kombat and Pac-Man and just all these little like pinball machines and a really good bar that you can just sit at quietly. Like and and that's the other thing about it too. It's it's a medium noise place. So if you're ever in Chicago or if you're listening to this somehow in Chicago. I'm a huge fan of headquarters for a first date, and I, I agree with you on. I, I agree with Tom in in that mindset of just trying to have a little bit more low pressure because you can't. You're right, Michelle. Like that sounds like a high pressure first date. The tone is set right off the top, and I'm not sure if I like that. Our numbers are huge in Chicago, so all, all the people listening are going to love it. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. But I, I, all these places that you're naming in Chicago, I'm thinking I need to get up to Chicago soon. I need to go to headquarters. I need to get Tower and Style Pizza. So you're making me want to visit Chicago. You should really be on the board of tourism or something. <laughs> By the way, uh, next time you are looking for your, you know, the next good Italian meal, please go to La Scarola. Uh, that's my <laughs> best recommendation. Okay. My friend Armando is, is is there. He's like I was just, and I, I'm, it's fresh in my head because I was just there two days ago. So Las Carola, maybe the best Italian place in Chicago as far as I'm concerned. That will be where like if if you're next time you're in Chicago, we'll we'll get a bunch of us. That's where we're gonna go. We're gonna go to Las Carola. Perfect. Right? Call Armando up, I'll be there. Okay, so circling back cool. to dates. Adam, what is the worst date that you've ever been on? Oh man. It's not a first date. Uh, can I, like it was this was the last date and there was only one participant. Oh what? So so this was probably a, this was right around a year ago. I had been I had just been out of like a long term relationship, and I was seeing this this woman who was a journalist who no longer lives in Chicago. Very sweet girl, really funny. Uh, we had a lot in common, and we seemingly were having like a good build up to maybe taking an extra step. And I had uh, scheduled a, like she had she'd gotten a little upset at me, understandably so. I'm not saying I was in the right here. I was probably in the wrong, but no, not, not purposely. You know, and Michelle, you know this business. It's a lot of weekends away, a lot of work, a lot of, uh, you know, missing out on special events or activities or whatever, whatever it may be to go do this job. You know, you're on the road as a play-by-play guy. You're on the road, you know, as a, as a producer or a host. You, you've been on the road a lot of weekends in your life, and you understand what this is all about. So I said, hey, I've got a Saturday off. Let's go to brunch. Let's go. Let's do like a really nice Saturday brunch. Nothing gets me more excited food wise than like a really strong brunch. Oh, I'm with so, you. Perfect. Uh, I, I, yeah, like, like you, like you'd be excited about this. And it's my, one of my favorite places in Chicago. It's called Beatrix. It's got an amazing chicken tinga. <laughs> if uh, you're looking for the best brunch item they have, maybe one of the best items in Chicago, their chicken tinga is phenomenal. So I show up at Beatrix and I'm waiting. It's like, all right, five, 10 minutes. No big deal. She lives not too far from this place either. This is a walking distance uh, brunch for her. So I'm just waiting. Ten minutes go by. I throw a text. Hey, I just sat down. Table's ready whenever you, know, whenever you get here. I'm sitting and, you know, walk in and go to the left. And it just, it just, I just kept waiting and waiting. And like an hour went by, and I had sent maybe like two texts at that point. And then I, I've never done this. I just gave up. And I was like, you know what? Next time, just let me know that you're not going to come, and then I don't have to waste my time. And I was about to walk out, and I decided, you know what? No, 
I'm going to sit down and have the chicken tinga and at least have a good brunch, even if it is by myself, even if I'm sitting here for an hour. And I know there are a lot of people in that place that were looking, going, that guy's that guy waiting. Did that guy get stood up? So that was that was it wasn't a first date, but it was the worst last date I've ever been on for sure. Okay, I have so many follow up questions to this. Uh, One, (laughs) did she ever respond? Not once. Not once. She straight ghosted you? And by the and by ghosted completely. Wow. And by the way, continued to follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Did she still follow I you? That was a little she I you know what? I don't go think block she her right me now. On Twitter. <laughs> she she I, I she definitely follows me on Twitter and I think she still follows me on the gram because like oh, for like a week and she? a half, every every time you know like the Instagram uh algorithm will like you can look at who's looked at your story and the first people are typically the ones that you like have a communication with or whatever it may be. Like the algorithm figures out who you talk to basically yes. on Instagram. So the first person I saw on those little, little avatars in the bottom left corner were hers. So I'm like, you're clearly like, you're now you're just taunting me at this point. You ghosted the hell out of me. And now you're just straight up taunting me by letting me know that you're still watching what I'm doing regardless of what of, of the fact that you just totally skipped out on a date. So I thought that was uh, that was a little bit, a little cold-blooded, I thought. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of sociopathic. You're going to ghost someone, never respond to their text, but continue to stalk them online? What's the deal here? You should block her. And, and, this, was, and this wasn't like two or three dates. This was like, we were going out for like a couple of months. No. Like, it was like, it was like a legit, like out of the blue. And, and like I said, I understand like what her, what her issues were. Like, hey, I get it. We talked about it, and I tried to at least make an effort. If that wasn't enough, I would have just liked to hear, hey, it's just not going to work for me. Like, I know you're putting some effort in, but I'm just looking long term, and it's not going to work. Hey, that is, that's some foresight. That's self-awareness. I can appreciate that. It sucks, but I'll deal with it. That was hard to deal with because it was a straight-up ghost job. Wow. I mean, that takes some gumption on her part to not even feel badly to respond. You a, know, I just I little, can't imagine doing that. A little wherewithal. Yes. A little wherewithal, I thought. So I thought that, you know, let, give me I'm going to I'm going to call I'm going to create some drama here. I'm, I'm going on Instagram right now. Yes. Oh my I'm, God, I'm typing Do on it. my phone and I just want to I just want to. Oh, no, I'm not going to block. Her. I just want to see if she still <laughs> follows. You're too nice. Follow back. Button says follow back. No. Still. It says follow, so she's still following me on the gram. Is her page public? <laughs> that, that, that's unbelievable. Is that's her, a, that, that was a little cold. I, is I her page I public? Her, though. Can you see? No, which... it's not. It's a private. Oh. It's a it's a private page. She Damn. she's private. I I will I will take a screenshot and text it just to you, yeah. so you can see like just the cold bloodedness that's oozing through my phone right now. I'm gonna do a deep dive on this girl later. I'll let you know everything about her. <laughs> if she's seeing anyone, awesome. what, what she's been up to. I mean, we're really gonna let her have it. We're, we're, we're dive in. It just seems like you're much better off without this. It was actually she did you a favor in the long run. But I wanna oh, so, yeah. I wanna go back to this. How was your solo dining experience in that moment? Because a lot of people I know are really fans of a solo meal. And I give you props for saying, you know what? This person is not going to ruin my day or my brunch. I'm going to get my meal, maybe a mimosa, and I'm going to sit here and enjoy my day. That says a lot about who you are as a person. It was like, obviously, that buildup, that, you know, hour or whatever I was sitting there sucked. I mean, for anybody, any like you, me, or anybody else would be in that situation just going, this is not fun. Like, this is not cool. 
and, and you go through every scenario in your head, like, what did I do wrong? Did I say something? Mm-hmm. Did I send, like, one too many texts today in the lead-up to this? Like, you, you start to overanalyze everything. And it's like, listen, some people just don't vibe together after a certain period of time. I don't even think she's a bad person. I just think I she, made, she, did something that, she did something that was really horrible. I, on, I, I will say that. That was pretty crappy of her to do that. That being said, I'm sure she's a better person than that, and I'd like to believe that. But once I, like, I made the definitive statement in my mind, like, you're done. Don't worry about this. Like, it's, it, like just enjoy the rest of the day. I felt really good. I ordered a couple of, uh, in fact, I ordered a couple of blueberry mimosas. A what? Just to, just to, change, just to change it Matrix. up a little bit. I, like, like, write it down, my friend. You're going to love it. <laughs> I know you will. So, like, I, as, soon as, I, as soon as I indulged and was like, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to make the most of this. It's amazing what a shift in mindset and a little bit of positivity will do for the rest of your actions. Like it really, I know it sounds kind of cheesy and hackneyed, but it really did make the rest of the dining experience really enjoyable. And overall, you have to be a good solo diner in in my position. Mm -hmm. You, you, You get to eat with a lot of people. You get to have great dinners with a lot of friends and colleagues. But oftentimes, you're gonna have to eat alone too, just because you're on the road. So I've gotten used to it, and I've I've learned that. Not try not to make a solo dining experience a sad experience. Try to make it a, an experience where you get to go out and try some new things. You don't have to worry about somebody else's palate. You just get to worry about yours. So I, I think you can make it a good experience no matter what. Do you bring a book? Or are you guy that, the guy that's on your phone? Do you try and really soak in the environment and not have your phone or a distraction there? How do you do it? Uh, I try to not have my phone out as much. Like, I'm going to have it out just because you're by yourself. You need some kind of stimulation. But it, it's good to, like, I'll try to read some stuff. The book idea I love. Why not just bring a book to a restaurant, sit there and have a nice, quiet dinner, and, and read a book? I think, actually, that's a really good idea, which next time I go on a vacation or something like that, I'm going to try to try to utilize that method. Because that, that's what I've usually done. Go to Italy. I went to Italy on my own. I went to the Grand Cayman on my own, you know, Puerto Rico, you know, trips out to California or whatever. I've, I've traveled alone a lot. So I think that's a really good idea. I'm going to bring, start bringing books if I go on another solo dinner. You should. I saw a girl the other day. Um, I went out to dinner, and she was sitting at the bar of the restaurant, and she had a glass of wine and a book, and she was just chilling there reading. And I thought, what a great idea. And rather than sit at home by yourself, go out, have a little bit of an environment, read your book. If you have to burn time between meetings or something, why not? And it, doesn't, it, doesn't that person look so confident? Just yes. Just like kind of sitting there like, got their wine, got their book. Like, they're so self-assured that they don't care what is going on around them. They're just in their own little world. They're enjoying themselves. Like, that that tells me that that person is really self-assured. And I'm not saying that you should do this just to give the air of self-confidence, but you should feel good about an experience on your own. You should feel good about just getting to experience something new. If it's with somebody, great. If it's by yourself, that's good, too. Yeah, there's this misconception about solo dining that it's sad, that, oh, that person's by themselves. But I think looking at it through the lens that you just – provided us as in this person is so confident that they're going to do things on their own their independence is radiating from them and they don't really care what you're doing they're just going to do them and that's the way i'm going to look at it from now on yeah i'm with you on that okay adam everyone's doing this 10-year challenge have you done it yet so i haven't posted it yet but i did look through uh (laughs) you know my laptop i was like oh i still have my like old photos and there's a photo and to make it very chicago-y and anger every cardinal fan out there there's a a great uh, old photo from my first minor league baseball job where Ferguson Jenkins came as like a guest 
and and was hanging out and taking photos with everybody. So that was like the first photo I think that I ever posted on Facebook. So uh, I'm, I'll probably end up using that one uh, for for the 10 year challenge. And I, I don't look that much different. I don't think I look that much different. I I definitely got a little skinnier. And I definitely have way a way better haircut now than I did before. And my ability to grow facial hair is much different now than it was then. So those are the main differences. Is there anything you look back on, though, Adam Amin, 10 years ago, that you survey your look or yourself and you just say, woof, I could have done better there? Uh, a lot of ill-fitting stuff. <laughs> you know, I'd always just kept telling them, you know, like I, I my first suit, I think you'll appreciate this. The first suit that I ever bought to work on ESPN. My first ESPN broadcast, I was 24 years old. It was August of 2011, and I bought, like, a $72 – it wasn't even a thrift store. It was, like, a resale store, but it was, like – you know, it was, like, okay, like nicer stuff. But it was, like, a $70 suit. It was probably two sizes too big on the jacket. It was probably a couple of lengths too long. Like, I probably wear, like, a 40, and it was probably, like, a 44 that I was wearing. Ooh, wow. And, like, already off to a bad start, you know? Like, the pants were fine, but nobody sees the pants anyway. So I just, like, I'm, like, swimming in this suit. And for the first year I worked at ESPN, because I was two years out of college. I didn't have any money. I was, you know, still paying off debt and student loans and things like that. So I didn't exactly have, like, a clothing budget. So that, though, that first year... So that's not 10 years ago now at this point, but, you know, close enough. Yeah. At that point, I was still wearing some really ill-fitting stuff. That That is a major regret of mine. But two years out of college and you're already working for ESPN, I mean, I'm sure you were so excited about that. You've realized a dream of yours so quickly. What was the reaction that you got from your friends and family? Were they as excited as you were? Were they surprised that you had gotten to this point so soon? I think my my, like my dad was, you know, my, 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 he was probably the most, supportive human being on the planet when he was, when he was with us. And like, he was so goofy. Like I remember calling him. He was the first person I called when I found out I got hired at ESPN. And he was always like, Hey, whatever you do, like, just go for it. Like be passionate about what you do. I'll support you no matter what you want to do. And he was that type of guy. So when I called him, I was like, dad, I, I, I got hired. They're, you're going to see your kid on TV. And he goes, yeah, so what? And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, I, I, this was supposed to happen. Like this is, I expected this to happen a long, a long time ago. So that's you know, good for you, but whatever. Like he, he was that type of guy. So he was very supportive of it. The rest of my family was great, but I, I laugh on it now because they were so skeptical of the business. They're like, my mom wanted me to go to like med school, like every other South Asian and Middle Eastern mom on the planet. Like she wanted her son to go be a doctor or something like that. And that definitely was not the case. And until she saw me on national TV, she didn't really know what I did for a living or didn't really want to know what I did. And what, once I got on TV, she was, like, telling everybody, oh, yeah, yeah, look what, look what my son does. He's on TV. So it be, her tune changed very quickly once her, her son's face was on national TV. Well, how was she explaining it before you were on national TV? There, uh, so I came home once. Uh, this was before I got hired at ESPN. And I was working in my first full-time job in Iowa. So this is 2009. This is about six months or seven months after I graduated from college, and I'm working in this small town. I'm the sports director for a couple of radio stations, doing high school sports and things like that. And I came home for a few days for you know for Christmas break, and I went to this wedding with my mom. My dad was a little sick. My mom goes, "Hey, do you mind coming to this wedding with me?" I said, "No problem." So at this wedding, there's a lot of people that like I've 
cross paths with you've been to family parties or like parties that like your mom's been to or you're maybe you're like somebody in your family will drag you to it. You kind of know the people there, but you don't really have any investment yes. in, in what they're doing or who they are. So I, I can kind of recognize all these people. And every time I would see these people, they'd always ask the same thing. When are you getting married and what are you doing now? And what are you, you know, what are you studying? So at this point, I'm 22. I'm out of undergrad. And right before we walk into this banquet hall, my mom goes, all right, so listen, I may have told some of my friends, and by some, I eventually learned that meant all, I may have told some of my friends that you're, you, you were going to med school. Oh, my and God. And you need to tell them that you're going to med school. <laughs> and I was like, you cannot be serious. I have to spend, so not only am I doing you a favor by coming to this wedding with you, I now have to lie my way through the rest of the night just to save any embarrassment for you. And at the time, like, I was a little upset. Like, my feelings were a little hurt, as you might, as you might imagine. I'm sure. okay about it now. It's fun to laugh about now. But, like, every one of her friends was coming up to me and going, so, when are you getting married? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm focused, on, uh, focused on school right now. She goes, <laughs> oh, our, your mom told me you're going to medical school. What are you thinking about uh, specializing in? And I am pretty sure I said, like, four different types of ologies in every conversation. So like one person thinks I'm going into endocrinology and like, I, I, I don't know, like I just made up as many specialties as humanly possible just to get out of those conversations very quickly. Of course, at the end they go, Oh, by the way, do you remember my daughter? Because they think I'm going to be a doctor. So naturally <laughs> you're like, well, yeah, let's, let's introduce them to the future doctor. Cause that's, that was not going to be the case. And I didn't want to like further the lie any more than my mom already asked. Well, were there any girls you were interested in? Because that's kind of a conundrum you're in, too, right? If you're going to meet the girl and you want to take her out, and then she's going out with you under the premise thinking that you're in pre-med going to be a doctor. I couldn't do it. I could not do that to somebody. <laughs> Plus, I was living, I was living, you know, 500 miles away in yeah. Iowa at that time. And I, I would have just felt horrible if all of a sudden, like, hey, let's go out Saturday night unless you're busy. Yeah, I'm definitely busy and also not in the state, like, ever. <laughs> so I, I just would have felt terrible if, if I dragged some poor girl along with that the story ended up with a great ending because now you're killing it at the network you're on every big property and game that they have so now your mom can confidently say no he's not a doctor look at him on tv he's killing it <laughs> she likes to say like oh we had a change of heart he, he's, change he of heart like being a doc being a doctor wasn't for him anymore he, he's just much better at this I never want to say, Adam, that anyone's had a meteoric rise in this industry because every person has their own process of grind that it takes to get to the point that they are. But relative to your age and how long you've been at the network and on a national level calling all of these amazing games, you have had a pretty quick shoot up to success. You know, it never feels that way when you're in it. You're grinding it out every day. I mean, right. I think people see you and what you get to do and they don't understand all of the stuff that goes in behind the scenes about how you're constantly traveling on a plane. And when you're not on a plane, you're studying and you're running from place to place and you're in production meetings and you're interviewing people. It's really this all-consuming job. So was there ever a point that when you're leading up to where you are now that you just said, this is too much, I don't think I can do this anymore? Oh, definitely. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way too. And, and I, I say this with the luxury of hindsight and I say this knowingly like, I, I know, like, looking back, it wasn't as bad as I'm sure, like, I was making it out to be. But it's hard to fight that. You know, you're isolated, you're lonely. Particularly, it was that first job. You know, I was in a small town in Iowa 
mostly, uh, you know, it's an almost all white town. Not that that matters to me, but it's, it's a little weird. I'm a minority. Yeah. I come from Chicago. I come from a very diverse place. And then you're thrust into a place that nobody you know really looks like you at all. So, you know, like it didn't, it just felt a little isolated more than anything else. It, it was the, the people there were amazing. I'm still friends with, with a lot of them to this day. I actually went back and visited uh, during, during this past summer and saw a bunch of people, and it was awesome. Like these people were, were real friends. But that doesn't take away from the, the, the idea that you're doing something wrong in your career. You have an idea as to how it's supposed to go. You're like, oh, well, I was supposed to be doing this at this age, and then I was going to take this step and this step, and then, boom, I'm, I'm, I'm going to end up on, on TV. And that's how it was supposed to go. And that's not remotely how things go. Like, you have no idea what the path is going to be. It's not a mathematical equation. There's a lot of timing and a little bit of luck and happenstance and feel and, and certainly hard work to make your own luck. But when I was in Iowa, I was convinced, like, this is it. Like, I'm going to be stuck here forever or – I, I don't really want to do this. And, and I, I was legitimately sad uh, a lot of the time. I was, you know, overweight. I was drinking too much. I had a bad smoking habit. I would just, like, go to work. You'd be at work for 12 hours. Then you'd go call a game. And then you'd go home and eat fast food and then go to sleep and not sleep very well and be up at 5 a.m. the next day. And it, it was just this cycle where you feel like you're never going to get out of it. And, and those are tough moments. And everybody's got them, I'm sure at some point in their careers. And I'm, I'm happy that I was able to shift my focus and mindset and say, no, this is good. This is, you know, valuable to you. Take advantage of it. And then when another opportunity comes up that you really want to pursue, go pursue that. And I'm, I'm very happy and I'm very lucky that it played out that way. Cause they're like, you're like you said, Michelle, there's a lot of people out there that are just as talented, if not more. So work just as hard, grind it out like everybody else does, but just don't get that big break. And, and I'm, I'm one of those people who wants to make sure I'm aware that I'm, I'm very lucky in a lot of ways. I work my butt off. I will never uh, say I work less or don't work as hard as somebody else, but there's a lot of good bounces that have to go your way too, and I'm very aware of that. Definitely. I know I always say I realize how few seats there are at the table in this industry, and I just feel lucky to yeah. be occupying one and never take it for granted. But, I mean, I'm sure this is similar to you. Young kids in college will reach out to me or people want me to speak at schools. And when I talk about our industry, I'm always so brutally honest. I say you think that working at ESPN is glamorous, and to some effect it is. Once you get to that point, there are certain aspects of it that – it's everything you've dreamed of. I mean, to say to say that I was on the field when the Patriots came back and upset the Falcons at the Super Bowl and that my job was yeah. to get post-game interviews, that's what you dream about in that moment. But I can promise you when I was graduating college and I was working from 4 a.m. to 2 p.m. making no money and then I'm working from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. the same day for free in sports because I want to get into sports for a year and a half. All of these things that happen, I tell people, you have to want to make no money. You have to really love it. And you have to be willing to have no social life for a good three to four years. Yeah. And it's really just, it's talent, obviously. It's a lot of lucky breaks, but it really is just perseverance a lot of the times. I think I think it becomes a little bit of a survival of the fittest. Yeah, you know, and, and Darwinism. Longevity. <laughs> Exactly. And this is one of those businesses and one of those industries. And, and longevity is a virtue. If somehow, like, you can churn out a 20-year career in this, like, that, that is a gift. Trust me. I'm, I'm, I, especially on this end of things, there's a lot of uh, – more, more and more there seem to be more opportunities now. But that also means that you don't necessarily stick out anymore. You know, it's a lot of 
uh, dilute, uh, you know, kind of dilution of talent and dilution of content because everybody's got an option. So what do you what do you offer that's different? What do you, what do you offer that's that's you? Like how do you how do you make you uh, stand out in this business? And that's not an easy thing to do, and that takes some time. That's not just something you come out of the gates with. And I, I think at the end of the day, and I, I would imagine you feel the same. And we've had some conversations about this in the past. I feel like at the end of it, if I have the respect of my colleagues and my peers and overall of fans in general, I, I think I'm okay. Like everything else will kind of fall into place. And I feel like you fall into that category too, Michelle. Like people respect what you do. People respect your hustle and your grind. And that's how we became friends, you know, at ESPN. And, and I think that's, that, that's a lot more comforting at the end of the day to know that your, your peers and your colleagues, the people that you like and look up to and admire, uh, if they have that same respect for you, I think that really makes it worthwhile. And that's what more people should be gunning for, you know, to, to do it in a way that's going to earn you the respect of your colleagues and the people that you work with. Very well said. Well, you're at the network, yet you're calling some of the biggest games out there. So do you feel like you've made it? And if you don't feel like you've made it, when will you? I don't know. I, don't, I definitely don't think I've made it. I, and I, I don't know what, what that definition is, like I said before, too. And, and this, t- this takes some time to beat it out of you. Like, you have to understand it's not an equation. It's not a mathematical probability, and it's not binary. It's not you do X, and that means you've, you've made it, you know, or you, you make this amount of money, that means you're secure. Like, it, I, don't, I don't try to think of it in that, in that prism because you could drive yourself nuts because mm-hmm. there's only so many. Like you said, there's only so many seats at the table, and that applies in so many facets of this business. Like, there's only so many seats at the table to get in. And then there's only so many seats at the table if you're a minority or if you're a woman. And, and obviously those things are expanding more and more, and that will continue to evolve and change. But no matter what, there's only so many seats. There's only so many network TV play-by-play guys that call a Super Bowl or a World Series or the NBA Finals or whatever it may be. And if you try to define it like if I, if I don't call the NBA Finals or the World Series someday and then I didn't make it or I'm not one of the great – like, you can't think of it that way because this is such an ever-evolving business that those goalposts will continue to shift and continue to shift. So I think if I get to a point where I'm happy doing all the things that I do and I still maintain a work and life balance, and I know that's such a like hard thing to achieve for so many people outside of just sports and business and TV, but if I achieve that someday – that, that will make me more happy than anything. That will mean that I've made it because I got to live a life that was fueled more by passion than desire for, you know, money or something like that. And again, not everybody has that luxury. I'm, I'm well aware of that too. But I think if, at the end of it, if I've accomplished certain goals and I've, I've gotten to call some events and gotten to be at some, you know, part of some great moments in sports history at some point, which I think I've been lucky enough to have a couple already, if, if I get to continue that and, and call it quits someday where I've, I've gotten the respect of my colleagues and peers and done a couple of good things, I think that will be, that will be when I've made it. And, and it's so hard because you want to you wanna be able to define that now, and that's just not going to be the case. Yeah, I, the reason I asked you that, that's a great answer, is because I feel like so many people in our industry who are the best at what they do, they never feel that content feeling. They always feel like they yeah. have something more to prove and that they're so hungry to, to maintain that feeling because it, it's what keeps you grinding all the time. And I'm sure that you fall in that category. I, I think you have to tell, you were just talking about like students and younger people who want to do this. 
And the biggest thing I have to tell them is, listen, if you're not passionate about this, you, you got to get out. Because if you're fueled by other things, if you're fueled by peripheral things or, 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 or goals that either A, aren't realistic, or B, aren't the right things to chase, then you're in the wrong business. Like, I, you, you can't get into this because you think it's a good gig. Like, you have to – it is a great gig, especially if you get to, you know, a content level, a place where you're happy and, you, and you're financially stable and all that stuff. Obviously, you want that. Everybody does. But if you're just getting into this because, oh, I'm eventually just going to get there, that's not going to cut it because you have to have something driving you. And at the end of the day, if you're passionate about sports or passionate about the job, like you love broadcasting or you love producing or you love just the process of those things, not to go Nick Saban and Joel Embiid <laughs> on you, but like that's an important word in this business that I keep telling people. It, it should not be about – about goal, you know, necessarily about all these goals. It should be about the process of getting better at this and the process of pursuing a passion. And if you do those those things and approach it like that, you're going to have a long career regardless because you're never going to leave it. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. And if you're good at it, and if you have enough passion to get better at it, eventually somebody's going to find you, and eventually somebody's probably going to give you an opportunity, and then it's up to you to make the most of it. All right, Adam. Before we close this out, you want to do a couple rapid fires, two minute drill? Uh, of course. Okay, question number one: Best set of pipes in the biz. Who has the best voice? Oh, that's 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 a great. Oh, uh, you know what? I, I know this. I, and there's a, there's obviously a lot of great ones, and Dan Shulman certainly sticks out as, yes. at our network. But I, I'll tell you, Joel Myers, who's the voice of the New Orleans Pelicans, did NFL on Westwood One for a long time. He's been on Key and Peele. He's in the uh, you know the funny names, the East West Shrine. Bowl yes, guest. yes. Like he's one of the announcers of that. Best pipes in the business, bar none. Good answer. One current athlete you would want in the booth as you as your color commentator. One current athlete, uh, man, I think I would love to work with Patrick Mahomes someday. I just feel like he's got this infectious personality, and with all the complex things that he runs and what he's done in college and all the way through what's been an amazing uh, run this year. I think he's got just this great personality that will translate to TV someday. He seems like a, a great, like if I had to buy stock in a future broadcasting career, I'm buying Patrick Mahomes. And you want to talk about pipes. What a distinct voice. <laughs> Very much so. Well, it's made by, you know, ketchup. I think that's what it does. Oh yeah. Brought to you by Heinz. What's your favorite call that you've ever had? Man. Uh, had some really it, good it, ones. It's hard. It's, it, it, it's hard. To, like I've been lucky. I've, I've seen some really cool stuff kick six game in 2013 i did the national radio call i've done lebron james buzzer beaters before how do you, i i i'd be i'd be an idiot if i said anything other than the national championship in the final the women's final four this past year i it was the coolest moment winning not only the semifinal game but but the national championship on a buzzer beater uh i mean that, that i'm sure that that introduced me to some people that had never heard of me before and it was just awesome. Like, you, how do you, how do you beat that? You win a title at the buzzer. Like, that's number one for me. Uh, that call was outstanding. I remember when I heard it. You were every fan's thought in that moment. Just you could <laughs> feel it from your toes all the way to your fingertips when you were giving that call. Just exactly what it meant in that moment. It was perfect. It was so great. Um, all right. Well, Thanks, what's man. your favorite call from another broadcaster? Oh. Uh, this is, I mean, it's a close tie, and, and, and this is almost blasphemous from a Chicago guy, but Ozzy Smith's walk-off <laughs> that Jack Buck called, I mean, the go-crazy folks go crazy. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing to me. On a home run by the Wizard, like just the way he was, like he felt like every fan, 
and he was professional and he nailed the call. But it's a tie between that and Scully's 88 uh, Dodger home run. And, and it's actually a three-way tie because Scully's involved in the 65 uh, Sandy Koufax uh, perfect game against the Cubs. So, like, just to give you a little uh, – I'm, I'm going against the Cubs and for St. Louis in a couple of those calls. So I'm just trying to, trying to make myself more appealing to the masses. But, honestly, I think those are the three baseball calls that stick out to me and always will. You're earning some fans here in St. Louis. I can promise you that. <laughs> uh, my favorite one – I mean, that Jack Buck call is obviously iconic, but – for me, at least in my lifetime, I don't know if anything will ever beat Joe Buck Game Six, 2011 World Series. Just because if you're, oh my god, if you're from St. Louis and you know that you know so much of the history behind that, it's David Freeze, the hometown Absolutely. kid that keeps you alive. When Joe Buck says, "We'll see you tomorrow night," he's giving his father's oh. iconic call. Both two St. Louis kids. It's just every single thread of that is a tapestry that you could never duplicate. Yeah, that, that, and that to me is why I know a lot of people hate on Joe Buck, even in St. Louis, because they feel like, you know, he's, he's shifted his allegiances. It, it doesn't really matter. He's one of the great announcers of this generation, especially in baseball on TV. And that call with all the background to it is just um, off the charts. I couldn't agree with you more. It was so simple, but it was such a masterpiece. Okay, is there yeah. an event or a team or something of that nature that you haven't called but you want to? Well, I mean, it goes back to, I mean, baseball is my first love and it's the first passion that I had and it's how I got my entry point into broadcasting. So I've always, like, somebody's asked me, like, oh, what, what, what's the one event you'd want to call? Game 7, World Series, you know, period, end of it. Okay, so you mentioned baseball is your true love. Obviously, same here. We're located in St. Louis, Missouri, so I feel like it's only, it's apropos that we end this with a baseball question. So as a baseball fan, take Adam Amin out of the broadcast booth. You're just a fan of the game. Everyone's talking about Bryce Harper. Where would you love to see him land? Not where do you think he'll land, but where would be the most fun for you? I think it would be awesome to see him somewhere in the AL West, and in particular with the Angels. Because really? I just feel I need to see more. I, here And here's the domino effect. I need to see, as a fan, and I think most baseball fans, need to see more Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. And they need to see more Mike Trout in the playoffs. Like, we need that. We need to see arguably the best player in the game. And, and I know that's an ever-evolving thing as well. But we need to see one of the best players maybe of this entire century. We need to see him in the playoffs. And I think if Bryce Harper were to go to the Angels, that makes them the favorite in the AL West. I know Houston is stacked from top to bottom, but if Bryce Harper goes to the Angels, that causes a domino effect. More people want to go out there, and I think they're a World Series contender. And I would just love to see those two guys patrolling the same outfield together, hitting you know one and three or or you know three and four maybe even in the lineup, and just being a force to be reckoned with. I think that'd be so much fun to see. Man, you took me by surprise with that one. I did not think you were going to go Anaheim Angels. Where did, where did you? Where did you? Where did you? What? You, I mean, I want to hear your answer too. But where did you think I was going to go with that? I thought you were going to go Cubs. Well, not I because mean, of not because of I, Chicago I mean, who, roots, just because it would be so fun to see him with that team, that collection of players that they uh, have. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I think it'd be fun. You could say that about a lot of teams too. And I, I just think like he's that type of gravitational force in in this sport where you can do so much around him when he's at his best. I know he's coming off a, a brutal year, but you know, you could do so much to build around that guy offensively and defensively. It would just be 
it'd just be awesome to see. And as someone who's such a fan of baseball and wants baseball to get more spotlight, the Cubs are a team that people always talk about, not only because they have this great national presence, but because you know they were the team with the curse that came back, and they have all these young players. And to see him play with Chris Bryant, who's one of his best friends, and a lot of those one of young, his buddies, yeah. yeah, and have a manager like Joe Madden who would let him be himself and let him have the flair and have them be this thing that we would talk about in sports more, I think would be so great. And I know people in St. Louis are going to be furious. I said that. But <laughs> I can understand why. Well, Adam, this was so fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And I can't wait to deep dive on the girl that ghosted you later. <laughs> I'll send you the photo. You're the best. You know what time it is. Call to action. If you haven't already, head to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to Small Talk, give it a rating, preferably five stars, and leave a review like this person, Hakeem. I hope I said that right. Okay. <laughs> I love this one. Title, hop on the riverboat, five stars. <laughs> yes. Post-show pod chops it up like the first string friend group chat every person has. Say something dumb, you get clobbered. Love the show. That's true. We do really kill each other if we yeah. say something dumb. I get killed constantly in life and on this podcast and through texts. But yeah, hop on the riverboat. Tammy, you haven't slid in yet. What are you doing? That was my Open question. invite to slide into the DMs. Haven't heard from Tammy yet, No. Huh? Riverboat Tam, what are you doing? What about Becky Lynn? No. Neither one. Oh for two. Oh for two. Maybe this girl that I'm going to bring to Dave and Buster's is catfishing and is one of those girls. That would be such a twist. <laughs> what a plot twist. What if she shows up and she's like, kidding, my name's not Amanda, it's Riverboat Tammy. By the way, I was listening to the podcast this week, and I do want to go to Dave & Buster's as my first date. Hello, I'm Riverboat Tammy. And I'm also going to murder you later. <laughs> Enjoy this as your last night on Earth at Dave & Buster's. Shout out to Tam, though. Hit me up. Seriously. Riverboat Tam. I'm so intrigued by the name. This was my favorite review we've gotten in a long time oh, from wow. Saluki. Title, five-star cat guy, five stars. Review. Steve Cerruti is my favorite cat guy. <laughs> because he is. He can say, I'm a dog guy with a cat, but if you own a cat, you're a cat guy. Uh, look, I mean, it, again, it's you, you're very pragmatic this week, you know? Critical thinking questions. Yeah, what's going on if with me? If you own a cat, you're a cat guy. I mean, look, I, can't can't defend it. He's a cat guy. And he loves dogs, too. Both are weird to me. I don't understand why Saruti likes animals. They don't make sense. I don't understand why you don't love animals. I tell, it's kind of an allergy thing, and like you got to take care of it. It just it, it, practicality doesn't. They're not that practical. Having a dog is certainly a lifestyle shift. I, I mean, you're right, and it's it's kind of like your kid, and like, I get it. Like, oh, it loves you unconditionally, and I love it back, and it licks my face, which I think is kind of gross, and I don't know, it kind of smells think that's bad. Gross. Yeah. An animal licking my face? Yeah, it's kind of gross. Well, then you've never had the love of a dog. I, di- I never had a dog growing up, so. It's man's best I, I friend for a reason, okay? I guess I just don't understand. I guess. I guess I've never had a best friend. That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we are really deep diving with you emotionally this week. All right, well, uh, if you haven't already, like I mentioned, subscribe, rate, review. We could possibly read your review at the end of the podcast. And thank you to everyone who's done that. Your support means everything. We will be back in action next week with Saruti, a little post-show pod squad action. We will get Tom's update on his date and more. But until then, good night, Boston. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.